Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey, you, should, you think that's bad? See Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> We are getting in the double digits. Uh, we were in single for a while, and which makes yeah. the ice bath really interesting. I have this fear that I'm going to get my ice bath in the backyard, and it's going to like encase me. Like I have, <laughs> I have nightmares about this. So I'm like, when I get in and out, I'm like, okay, I made it out again another day. So I know, dude. I see that video on your Instagram all the time of you chopping up that ice with the hatchet, and I'm just like, you psychopath, man. I know. Crazy. Yeah, I did one where it was a little remake of The Shining, and I it generated quite a few concerning uh, comments from people like, "Hey, do you need to talk?" Like it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. No, I, I, hey, I'm it's, uh, building that that mental strength that you need for bow hunting, right? Building I that know. that poise, that discipline. I was going to do it before we jumped on, but the problem is I slowly warm up. I kind of take the hour or two to slowly warm up. And I've recorded podcasts right after an ice bath, and you can yeah. hear it in my voice that I'm shivering, and it's yeah. just, it's distracting. So, Not, yeah. Well, <laughs> appreciate the uh, the uh, dedication here. <laughs> I know, love it. But yeah, man. So we got Adam Buchanan uh, from the podcast First Generation Bow Hunter on the other side of the screen here. Um, he was gracious enough to have me on his podcast a couple months ago but uh we are just going to chat a little bit about uh getting your bow tuned up this is about the time of year where everybody's you know maybe you got a new bow after they all got released or maybe you're looking at getting a new one one of them new phase fours for matthews or you know they all it seems like all the new bows come out around this time of year um but yeah we got adam here adam you want to give a little little quick introduction yeah, thank you. So, started this podcast just kind of give a little bit more information to new bow hunters that probably experienced what I went through in my first few seasons and admittedly more like my first 6 or 7 or 8 maybe seasons. I just did not see a lot of success and I wanted to generate a piece of content through a podcast where people could feel just kind of comfortable asking those questions that may not feel as comfortable to uh, any any hunter and i i'm just kind of like that true first generation bow hunter and people just kind of come in ask questions and we we have very real conversations and i take a lot of uh, listener submissions and just kind of tackle super basic things that are probably obvious to the veteran hunter but for someone you know maybe their kids are kind of grown up a little bit they have a little bit more free time more budget they want to get into bow hunting they're just like, oh, how does wind work? Oh, what is, you know, how do you tune a bow? And so it's it's been a lot of fun. I've mm-hmm. been going a year now, and uh, yeah, just over at First Generation Bow Hunter. Nice, yeah, man. And I mean, even for like myself, I've probably been bow hunting for twelve or thirteen years now. I think I started when I was fourteen, and I'm about to be twenty eight here. Um, so yeah, almost, almost exactly 14 years, but I will say like the first, you know, in high school, didn't really take it too seriously. Right. Um, love, love to shoot, but, um, was far from, 
uh, an expert by any means. And it's just been the last couple of years where I've started to really, you know, care about it um, to the point where, you know, you start dialing in your arrow, kind of building it, building your own arrow, kind of learning about how to tune your stuff. Um, but even, you know, a, a person such as myself, I learned, um, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and just in talking to you, I've learned a few really helpful tips. Um, so it, I would say that, you know, old, old dogs can learn new tricks, you know? Um, so it's a very beneficial podcast, but oh, yeah, I kind of, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so first I kind of just want to establish, so how long have you been, uh, have, how long have you been bow hunting here? <laughs> Yeah, so I've been in Utah eight years, and then two years previous to that, I was in Denver, and then just a little smidgen of time, we had moved from Portland, Oregon, where I like bought my first bow at a pawn shop and kind of kicked things off just shooting in my backyard. I tried hunting in Colorado. Um, Technically, I went over to Nebraska and shot with an athlete. I was working at Cabela's at the time and he invited me over to a ranch to go on doe patrol. And, uh, we were sitting in a stand. It was negative 15. Oh my word. That was boy, that was some cold action right there. And so oh, yeah. made it to about four thirty, like a few minutes left of shooting light. And I got to take a shot at a doe and it was like two feet over her back. I don't know what happened. Really? And uh good wake up call for me of just like what happened, you know, but, um, yeah, so I guess it's been, gosh, probably 10 years now. And those, I mean, I'm not kidding. It was five, six seasons before I really was getting more shots, more success and, and bringing an animal home. So I was just like, ah, oh, it's just. It's so hard sometimes. And and I think the hardest part is you go to the internet and you don't even know what to ask. You're just like, how do I? And we just don't even know what to ask. So that's kind of the inspiration behind the the podcast. But yeah, it's been every bit about 10 years now. It's wild. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And um, I, I think that Bo, it, man, like basically any outdoor hobby if you're coming from zero right if you're coming from from you know sea level essentially um and and climbing that mountain whether it's backpacking whether it's uh you know rifle hunting whether it's rifle shooting whether it's you know doing through hikes on the pacific you know coast trail uh that you it's so hard to know where to start um if if you don't have experience right like um, I don't know about you, but I was I was blessed to grow up kind of going out in the woods and and uh, and hunting from a very young age and doing backpacking trips in the summer. So I kind of like it was kind of ingrained, right? But to a lot of people that that wasn't uh, how they were raised, and they're just it's it's such a different thing from it's such a different skill set to have than um, you know like social skills, right. Or, or, or how to, how to do carpentry. It's very different. So, and, and just taking that first step into it, it can be overwhelming to a lot of people and bow hunting, especially because, you know, if you get on the forums or you go to a bow shop, right. First bow shop I went to, um, everybody was like, Oh, bow tech, you know, it was, it was, it was bow tech. Right. And so 
you know, we all got Bowtech bows and we were shooting them for a little bit and, you know, and then you go to another bow shop after you move somewhere and they're like, oh, this is Blowtech, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're shitting on Bowtech and they're like, oh, we only, we only deal, you know, Matthews and, and I, I think there's a lot of kind of personal opinions that come into it. Uh, but there are some, some pretty basic tenants, I would say of, of bow hunting and, and We'll just start there with, uh, yeah. with, you know, t- take your step one, right? If you were, if you were looking to get into bow hunting as a rookie, uh, what are the, what are the main tenants that you're looking for in a bow? Yeah, for sure. I think I always tell people like, um, <clears throat> kind of think ahead of, you know, how far are you going to go into this? Are you going to go pretty all in, or is this kind of dipping your toe in the water? And I would buy accordingly. For me, when I really bought, a, I call it my big kid bow, because um, I was shooting a little youth bow, and it was fine. It killed a deer. Uh, once I did that, I lost it. I mean, I just, I was on an adrenaline rush for probably four days straight and sold all my rifle stuff, got rid of everything, and just sold a bunch of gear. And I was like, I got to go all in. So that was my experience of buying my first real bow. And but if someone's like, oh, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in water, like you're going to be in so much in accessories as well. And that's something that snuck up on me. I didn't realize getting a good site is every bit of 250 bucks. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that a stabilizer, you know, is kind of important mm-hmm. and it's every bit of a hundred and a quiver. I'm looking at my bow up on the wall right now. I mean, my quiver, I probably paid 124 for a tight spot arrows. I mean, it just stacks up for you to release that first arrow you're in hundreds of dollars, if not mm-hmm. a solid grand. And so that's what I just ask people is like, are you dipping your toe in? Or are you going to go all in? Are you, are you wanting to go, you know, get an animal in the next season or two? So that's kind of where I kind of start people. The next thing that I really recommend, and one thing that's not highly recommended because it's not very fun to talk about, is getting a coach. And so most pro shops will offer like a $50 lesson and man, I'll tell you what, that can save like months and months of time of not dealing with tons of mistakes and bad form is just starting out the gate. Cause it's kind of like when we go skiing, you, I mean, if you've never been skiing before, you're going to get a lesson. Uh, mm-hmm. partly because you're going to kill yourself <laughs> or you're going to really wreck your, your knees or whatnot. So we always go get a lesson, but in bow hunting, no one talks about going and getting a $50 lesson for an hour and you can learn no. so much in, in that time period. So that's kind of where I start. And, and I just tell people like, <clears throat> use what you have in front of you to, to try to get out there. I don't think you need to go head to toe, full matching, you know, Sitka Kuyu camo. It's like, you'd be amazed how you can just go hunting with, with kind of what you have. And, and so most people, if they're actually wanting to go hunting, they're not just shooting a bow in the backyard. They probably have, you know, the footwear, the, the camo and, and some of the gear. Um, but yeah, I mean, my other side of it too, is if someone's going to go all in and they're like, I really want to go get an animal. I'll say, if you spend a little bit more than you think you should, you're going to enjoy shooting that bow so much more. And there's just those nuances and those differences with some of those higher end bows of the draw cycle and the arrows being consistent. 
you know, you're, you're going to have so much fun getting those tight groups and shooting at long distances. So that's kind of what I tell people is like, you know, buy what you can afford. But what's funny with my audience is, you know, they're kind of middle-aged dudes like me and they're a little bit more farther in their career. So like dropping $1,500 on a bow is pretty common for them and they're, they're mm -hmm. okay with that. <clears throat> so when I say buy what you can afford, that's generally what they can afford. And, and that's totally perfectly fine. But if you're starting off on a bow tech and you got to start four or 500 bucks on a boat, that's fine too. Um, but just know there, I, I always tell people, just know when you, when you uh, improve your bow, you, you'll see a big difference. Let me ask you this yeah. though, in the early days, because I'm always curious to where, where people kind of started. What was, this is a super odd question, but what was your relationship with like video games? Were you a big video gamer, like super NES? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I would, I would say it was mostly like sports video games. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't have said that I was like a big time gamer, but I, yeah. I've definitely played video games. That, why, why do you ask that? So I'm the youngest of six. And so my relationship with video games was always like, I'm too young. I'm too small. I can't do that. And so I got pushed out of the video gamer world. And I was always like resenting my brothers for that. Mm. But what was interesting was it, I resorted to the backyard and I grew up in Southern New Mexico and our backyard literally backed up to the Oregon mountains. And my backyard was like acres and acres and acres of desert. And so at age six, I literally was hiking up these, you know, sand mounds and like, you know, just chasing rabbits and just like those really early days of the outdoors. So it's kind of a funny question to always ask people is like, what is your relationship with video games? Because at that those ages, like way back then, where you've got like the Super NES, the original Nintendo, like some people were like all in and other people were like, oh, you know, we couldn't afford it. Or I was the youngest of a few siblings. And so I had to resort to the outdoors. And that was me. I never played team sports. I never really was picked for anything. I was kind of a loner, you know, and I, 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 I'm not saying I see that trend mostly in people I talk to starting in bow hunting. But um, the other one, too, is Oregon Trail. Like, Oregon Trail fascinated me. It was this obnoxious, pixelated, you know, the buffalo comes and you got to shoot it and stuff. That's kind of like where some of my passion started for, like, what hunting was of just, oh, I got 700 pounds of buffalo meat. I get to live for yeah. a little bit longer on the Oregon Trail. Um, yeah. But it's super fun, like, those, those old school, like, little nuances in our lives that kind of got us to where we are today because now I like you stack up all those things together over 40 years. And it's like, yes, I get it. Like I get to provide, you know, meat for my family and you yeah. quickly realize those little experiences along the way as a kid really kind of built up to that. Yeah. Well, I will say I was <laughs> the, actually the technically the first bow I got was uh, just like a little, well, I actually had two. I had, I got one, I don't know, I was probably six or seven <clears throat> and it was just like a little wooden, you know, toy bow. Um, but I was a big Lord of the Rings fan back in the day, right? Oh, okay. Legolas, right? The archer, the elf. And we had a, we had a little play place in our backyard, a little, little fort. And so I'd always set up cardboard boxes out there and they were the orcs and I'd just, <laughs> I'd be just trying to shoot three arrows at the same time, you know? <laughs> and then I got a, like a, you know, 
a kid's compound bow, you know, like 10 pound draw or whatever. And, uh, uh, that was kind of, we, we had a cabin and I would always set up, you know, cardboard boxes, you know, in between bushes and stuff like that. And pretend like it was an elk, uh, obviously never hitting any of them, but, uh, it, it was fun. I, so I think that was kind of the, the, the impetus that got me interested in it. And then, um, you know, obviously got my first bow and I was, I was stoked, but then I kind of ventured into sports and other yeah. stuff and kind of fell away from it and then kind of picked back up. So, yeah, but no, that's, that's, that's interesting that you say that Oregon trail. I'm, I, I think the archery is, is kind of glorified in a, in a way, not because it doesn't necessarily deserve it, but like, you know, you think of native Americans, you see these pictures of them running down Buffalo on the open plains. And yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but as me, me as a kid, I was like, Oh man, that, that just looks amazing. Right. You're just, just freedom, right. Archery yeah. kind of stands for like freedom in a way. Um, like this primitive, uh, sport or, or game or, or just, I mean, almost like a, like a way of life. Right. Um, not to make it too big of, of a thing, but yeah. So, so that's, that's interesting that, you know, we, we both have different experiences coming yeah. from that. It's interesting how media over time yeah. though, just, you know, people are shooting bows and stuff and we just like get those little like Lord of the Rings or whatnot. Um, even in recent years, like <clears throat> walking dead with the crossbow, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. It, there's just these little things you see over time and and it's funny how hollywood is like they always kind of bring out the bow when they want to make a little mm-hmm. bit stronger message it's it's super interesting yeah 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 it's a symbol but um yeah man so uh i kind of want to talk a little bit about like bow selection right and uh for somebody that's getting in not necessarily budget wise but like what would you tell somebody who's looking to buy a, a bow, get into it, what should they be looking for in that said bow? Yeah. The, the other big thing is fit. That was, some, that was a mistake I had made probably twice yeah, on, on two kind of entry level bows. I just, <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's what I can afford. And I just went with it and it did, they did not fit mm-hmm. me at all. And when you shoot around other people and they see you pull back and certain things, um, we can't see it ourselves. It's really hard to see how a bow fits us, but um, other people will watch and then be like, man, something's wonky here. So, you know, taking that time, going to the bow shop and, and make sure you're fitted, measured. I always have someone else measure for draw length. And, and also just like understanding like how tall your bow should be, like the axle to axle. And mm-hmm. again, it kind of goes back to like, what kind of hunting are you going to be doing? Um, I have shot kind of those smaller speed bows, like an, uh, a Hoy RX3 turbo. Uh, it was a small axle to axle. It was less than 30. And now <clears throat> I'm on um, a 31 and it's, it's just right for me. You know, it's, it's somewhat mobile. Um, I feel really balanced on it. So that's, that's a big thing I would say is really watching fit. And then a lot of people say like, you know, shoot a lot of different brands, shoot a lot of different bows. You kind of have to tune out the hunting buddies for a minute when they're like, dude, we're PSE all the way. We're elite, you know, shouting out all these brands and whatnot. It's almost like you kind of close your eyes and just feel the bow 
and see what feels comfortable and kind of mm. set the brand off to the side for a minute um, because everything shoots a little bit differently. And I've shot just about all the different brands and, you know, landed on an RX-1 Hoyt. And I've been on that for a few years now. And it, it didn't happen by accident, didn't happen by like, oh, I just kind of came upon a good deal. It was a, a thoughtful, intentional you know, things. So if you are going to buy a bow that you're like, Hey, I'm really going to use this for the next five to 10 years. I really want to, you know, put a lot behind this. Um, yeah. Fit and, and that grip and then just the whole draw cycle and everything, you know, when you shoot a lot of different brands, you'll kind of feel what, what that preference is. So be patient with it. That's the other thing I tell people is like, don't, I mean, if the stars align or your timing is, you know, a certain way, that you like need a bow and you've got to get rolling because you have a hunt coming up soon. I would just say, don't expect to walk into the pro shop and walk out with a bow that day. If that's like your first time at a bow shop, like ask a lot of questions, um, talk about the different lengths. Like why is a longer axle to axle beneficial, you know, going from a 31 to a 34. And, uh, again, it's mobility there. I, I would say, um, I mean, I'm crawling up and down deadfall, you know, tight spaces in Utah, uh, a lot of, you know, tight in between trees and bushes. And, and I don't want a super large bow. And so what, what I have fits me. And so, yeah, that's, that's probably where I'd start with people is, is fit, you know, taking time for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in an interesting spot right now because like I was saying earlier, I had shot Botex uh, for my whole life. Um, <clears throat> and in my experience with them, they have, you know, I forget exactly what it's called, but you know, with when in the draw cycle of a bow, right? Some, some brands tend to have more play when you get to full draw. What is it? What is that called again? Oh, um, the, wall, the let off the back wall, the, yeah. Let off. The, okay. let off. So that yeah. is let off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of well, that. So, like, you know, the, some bows ooh. have, you know yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so like the the botex they have more i would say of the unk and just in shooting that the shooting those you know for basically my whole life i got used to that right and you know i got used to being able to kind of ease my muscles a little bit at the end of my draw cycle and and really settle in there Whereas my Matthews, um, first off, it's it's about ten pounds heavier than than my last Bowtech, mm. um, but also that let off is is far less. I mean, it's you're 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 pretty stuck with you know a good portion of that weight when you're all the way back, oh. and um, you know the, the first time I shot it, due to both the draw weight and just not having that let off back there. Um, it definitely caused me to not shoot nearly as well as I was hoping. Um, so I I think there's also something there too with, uh, like they're all going to be a little bit different and you, I don't, you know, everybody goes back and forth on which one's better, which one's worse. Uh, Obviously that's why different companies have them that way. Um, but I feel like that's a pretty pretty big difference. That's like one of the big differences I've felt in shooting different brands of bows. That's a good point. And, and, you know, a higher end bow doesn't always <clears throat> mean that you're going to have a draw cycle that you prefer. Um, 
case mm-hmm. in point, you know, I shot, I was shooting that RX three turbo and the, the let off that, that cliff, you talked about the back wall, it was so distracting and I could, I could anticipate it coming every time I pulled an arrow mm-hmm. back and it was like, clunk. And, uh-huh. and I've talked to a few people about that and they're like, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty common with some of those speed bows. Uh, they call them speed bows or turbo mm-hmm. bows. And it was fast. It was, it was very, very fast, but man, I could not get over it. And the, you know, I clunk back and the whole time I'm just like, okay, now I'm trying to settle in. And I did not like that. That was part of my shot process. I didn't like it at all. It kind of yeah. just was distracting. And so to yeah. have something now where I just pull back and I just kind of hit that back wall and I, I don't even think about it. You know, I just don't, I'm thinking about 14 other things. The other thing I would tell people too is poundage, right? So mm-hmm. how much weight should you pull back? <clears throat> well, in the regulations, each state's a little different. Utah, you got to at least pull back 35 pounds to, to go hunting with a bow and kind of give that animal a fair, you know, fair, uh, um, expiration, I guess. Um, not, mm-hmm. not shoot anything <clears throat> super light where they're just kind of getting wounded. And, yeah. um, 35 is pretty accessible. I mean, my, my 14 year old son can well shoot 35. Um, yeah. so a lot of people think, you know, well, if I shoot faster and max out my bow, whatever it can do, it's going to be accurate. It's going to be fast and, and all of this. I would just take some time to really think about what can you consistently shoot? Um, so let's say your bow can go up to 80 pounds, right? Let's just say that's pretty heavy. That's a pretty heavy poundage. When you're practicing, you've got to pull that back during your session over and over mm-hmm. and over. It's a very obvious statement, but I think a lot of people forget about that. And then that's where if they're not warming up, if they're not staying on top of their shoulder exercises, they start messing up their shoulders and they're tearing stuff because they're like trying to mm-hmm. be He-Man pulling back a big bow. Now, mm-hmm. if you dropped it down, let's say you drop down to 65 pounds, right? And you're super smooth. You're getting a lot of practice with it. And your arrows might be more accurate at 65. And that's a whole Mm -hmm. nother thing to balance is what kind of arrows you're putting with your bow. And sometimes lower weights, just by five pounds, your arrows will shoot just a little bit differently. And and it's different for everybody because everyone's got a different draw length. So your arrows are going to be cut differently. And then depending on your budget of, of what arrows you're buying and, and certain things. And to get a hole into that, I do shoot gold tip. Uh, for those that are curious, I shoot a five mil kinetic chaos. Love it. It is just, it's a hammer. It, it's a total hammer. And uh, I've seen really good, um, you know, what, what it can do. And I've, I've really enjoyed that, but yeah, poundage. That's, that's another one. I, I talk on a few yeah. episodes about that. Yeah. I mean, it, Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, <clears throat> if you think about it, if, if you're trying to get your bow for a hunting situation, um, <clears throat> in, in my experience, uh, it's pretty rare that you're just going to be able to pull back and let that arrow go as if you were shooting at a target, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be probably having to hold that thing back longer than you typically would, right? Yeah. And that's where that poundage and that let off is gonna is gonna affect your your accuracy and your consistency with your your arrows yeah and that's that's a whole other thing is uh when you are practicing one thing i like to tell people 
is, and again, I learned this the hard way many, many times, when you're practicing and just shooting at foam, in some way you need to practice thinking in your mind, what am I going to say to myself right before I shoot an animal? And my phrase is very simple. It's very basic. The only thing I'm thinking is I am going to kill this deer. That, that is the phrase I say to myself. And I missed a lot of shots because I was shaking. I was freaking out. And it wasn't because they were big bucks. It was just I was new. And when you get mm. into that 20 to 40 yards and you're in range on your first couple bow hunts, you are a sewing machine. I mean, you're just like yeah. losing it. It's, it's, inc- oh, man. it's incredible. It's, it's indescribable. And so one thing that really helped me was just, and I think I picked this up from a meat eater episode actually, where Steven talks about, I'm just not going to get excited. Like don't get excited Mm. before the shot, let loose after the shot all day long, Mm. get excited, have fun. And that completely changed my bow hunting experience. That simple thing there, um, because I was trying to practice that way. So I'd shoot foam and I'm just thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this animal. I'm going to kill this deer. I'm going to kill this elk. And when you say it like that, and you put it in your mind, that affirmation, like, I'm going to do this, you start to think, okay, that pin better be right where it needs to be. And I should be level. And I should, my form as best as it can be standing on this weird stump or rock or (laughs) however you're standing. It, It helps a lot. You'll kill more animals just by having that mindset. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. And I, I haven't <clears throat> really practiced that, but I will say, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, cause this could be totally stupid for people to, to do, but, um, my, so my big turning point was, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. Um, so before that I had, I had, you know, I was probably 15. It was like my first year bow hunting and I was lucky enough to have a bull walk by at 35 yards oh, and I literally just pulled back and shot like no aim i had never even shot a bull elk at that time not even oh. with a rifle um so it was just it was chaos unfortunately i i hit him probably super high up on the on the back um oh. arrow broke we trailed blood not much uh tracked him for a long time and you know and then kind of had a couple other occurrences after that where i'd i'd missed just i wasn't taking it seriously right and then one year I go up and I had shot my bow probably five days before. Again, just not taking it seriously as yeah. I needed to. Shot my bow probably five days before I went out there. Like mm. just doing a little practice. Not I was like, oh, yeah, I've shot this thing so many times. I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I get a bull elk in at five yards. Oh, my god! Five yards. <laughs> five yards. And... I, I go to pull back and I, another thing was I wasn't wearing enough layers. So I was cold that morning. Oh. It was the coldest morning of archery season and the cold mixed with my adrenaline. <clears throat> I go to pull back and I'm shaking so much that my arrow falls off my, my arrow rest. You know, I have, I have one of those oh. fall away arrow rests oh. and it falls off, you know, rattles around, spooks the bull. And then as if I didn't learn my lesson, the next Turkey season, I did the same exact thing, did oh. the same exact thing, had a turkey, you know, we were sitting in a blind, had a turkey at 10 yards. Luckily, I was able to take a second shot after I had missed it and, and killed it. But that was like the turning point in my mind. I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. So yeah. what I did before the next elk season 
was uh, I, I just made that decision in my head that that wasn't going to happen. That like maybe something else will happen, but that for yeah. sure isn't going to happen. So what I would do, and I've heard mixed things on this, so I'd like to get your opinion. I would shoot like for an hour a day. I, I would just shoot and I would shoot at like 60 yards, you know, just all these shots, not all of them good, but it was, it was mostly just to get the process down. I didn't, I didn't care if I was shooting bad, you know, the, obviously the first few groups would be good, but yeah. I just wanted to get that muscle memory down so much. And so I was, you know, I was shooting like an hour every single day and I would, I would do like exercises to get my, my heart rate up, do push-ups before I take the shot. And sure enough, that year got out there, shot a bull elk, first one, you know, wow. heart shot. But Jeez. I've heard that, you know, I've heard that a lot of people say that you shouldn't, um, you know, the, the theory now is kind of more, uh, you want to make sure that you're doing it right every single time and maybe shoot less shots if it means that your muscle memory is, is there. So did I mess myself up now uh, that, that I did that? Or what's your opinion there? Well, you killed the bull. So that's yeah, but it could have just been could have been a fluke, you know. Could have been a fluke. Well, is that eighteen yards? I know. I I think one thing you did though is you had enough awareness to realize that something was wrong, and you were tackling that. And I I think everyone's got a little bit different process. The other one that I've heard from a shooting perspective is people wake up really early, like first light, go in their backyard. And they'll do the push-ups, they'll get the adrenaline going as if they're kind of mimicking shooting an animal, and they will shoot Mm -hmm. one arrow, and that's it. And that's another kind of tactic you can do and and kind of say, okay, I've got one chance. Am I going to hit where I want to hit? So there's, there's that tactic I've seen. But I think what you've done, though, you've got to have enough repetitions where when you pull back, because there's enough going on as it is with the adrenaline and everything, but the thing you, you touched on was the muscle memory of pulling back and setting up and going through your, your cycle and process. I think that is so underrated. And again, one thing I've heard, even at close range, like 10 yards in the basement, like a lot of people do this very, very close range. Uh, I've heard that accuracy isn't as important but drawing back over and over and over, getting set up, taking that breath, the breath is a really important one. And being able to, to go through that process, the accuracy will come and there's certain mm-hmm. sessions for that. And, you know, where you put the pin and sight it in and, and all that. But muscle memory of, of all that is incredibly important. And I'd also say, one mistake I made, and I found this out at TAC, uh, Total Archery Challenge, and uh, was that the Canyons Park City? And I'm, I'm shooting, and, you know, there's this little challenge, you know, shoot the sheep, and you get a little hat or something. And I shoot, and I just, I just jumped the trigger so hard. I mean, just, mm. I, I, it was a <clears throat> dumb, silly mistake. And some guy was watching me. He said, hey, we, we got to help you with your release. You got to follow through. And no one had ever slowed down or I never slowed down and really talked about how I was pulling my release back and having the follow through. And that was a game changer. So it's like you pick up these things along the way, but once you find the right form, the right system, 
practicing it over and over is so critical because then your body's like, it kind of goes into fight or flight when you're in that hunt moment. And it's just going to say, well, this is what we know. So this is what we're going to do. That's just kind of how our brain works. And then the adrenaline will battle that. But if you're like 90, 95% there, then you'll be in a good place. So it sounds like you, you did what was right and what worked for you. You, you tackled it. Um, so I, but I think everyone's, you just, everyone needs to know all the different options that there are out there with shooting tactics and practice, and then just kind of mm. take a, you know, take a little bit from each. Yeah. So, so do you think, because I feel like there is some sentiment out there right now <clears throat> about, uh, it, it kind of almost seems like if you follow certain people on social media, right. Mm-hmm. That there's one way to do it. Um, you know, there's, you, you have to have, you know, your back pressure release and you gotta shoot, you know, micro diameter arrows. Yeah. But to me, it seems like, I mean, shoot, some of the most successful, you know, the, those gnarly elk hunters that you, you meet that, you know, they don't have, they're just wearing camo from freaking Walmart. Right. And they're just killing elk every year, doing it, (laughs) doing it the right way. Yeah. You know, they're shooting like the the guy that um i'm referring to specifically he shoots like a 2005 mission you know which is the the sub used to be i believe the the sub company under matthews um you know kind of like the the budget brand if you will sure but successful i mean just just destroy does the right thing every single time right but but would you i mean what's what's your perspective on that like like uh is there a transformation right now? Like, do you believe that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way or, or is there variance in there? Oh yeah. That's a, that's a good deep question. And cause I, I think where I have seen danger is following that mindset of mm. you've got to shoot a four mil, four millimeter diameter. That's just what you got to do. Mm. And so it's, it's a dangerous thing to say things like that because for the guy in the Midwest who has a different draw length than you and different poundage and a different bow and on and on, different broadhead. Oh, good heavens. I mean, think of all the factors there is in a bow. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thousands of variations we can have. And we go and say, yeah, you got to shoot four mils. That's, that's what we got to do. It, and, and the reason why I say that on the diameter perspective was I was in a bro shop and I was shooting four mils. I was shooting the gold tip pierce and I loved it. Those are such a fun arrow to shoot because they are just like darts. They're like, pew, like mm. just bullets. They're yeah. so fun to shoot and they're fast yeah. as heck. And so I'm in there and I was getting it paper tuned. I was getting my drop away rest adjusted. And he's like, what are you shooting? And I'm like, oh, I shoot these four mils. And he's like, you know, we've seen better accuracy and consistency with the five mils with your setup. We're not talking everybody universal with your setup and what you have. And I was like, uh, oh, whatever. He's like, come on over to the range with me. Let's go take a look. I shot five arrows of four mil, five arrows of five of the five mil. Unbelievable. The grouping really? was palatable. I mean, it was so different. And he said, those, those four mils are fun. They're darts. They're fast. They're, they're accurate um, to a degree. But the, the consistency of the five mil is is a lot better and there's things you can research around you know plugging in those numbers and kinetic energy and and things like that so i would just say 
it, it, be patient with it. Be patient in the process and don't feel like I'm going to figure it out in one week and I'm good. And that is what it's mm-hmm. going to be forever. Um, I still have four mills in my closet. I've probably got a dozen of those pierces. I pull them out every once in a while. Maybe I'll use them for a 3D archery shoot and have fun that way. But yeah. man, with what I've seen, what a five mil for me and my setup does and how it brings that animal down, I'm, you know, and the same thing goes for broadheads. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> the conversations around broadheads. Um, I know. Yeah. Oh, it's tricky. I mean, I'm a fixed guy now. I'm a fixed uh, broadhead guy now. Um, I've, I started yeah. with mechanicals. Uh, mechanicals are very attractive. It kind of looks like kind of looks like the Terminator, like on the end of your yeah. arrow, like just yeah. something so wicked. And you're just like, this thing's going to tear crap up. And uh, or to take it back to the Lord of the Rings thing, it's like a, an elven arrow, yes. elven blade. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And so they're in, in some ways, like the marketing kind of got me on those. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, and you know, I, I killed my first year with a mechanical and things were great. It was a rage hypodermic and awesome. Did its job, you know, but you do it a few times. And then I shot one of my biggest bucks ever, big four point in velvet opening morning. Unbelievable. I mean, I just can't even believe that experience. And I shot it with a mechanical and the mechanical did not expand. Really? And I, it was at 20 yards and I, I think I did shoot a little high, but when I found the arrow, I could tell it stayed completely. You know, when you look at a mechanical and it's all mangled, like open and stuff, it was perfectly, yeah, yeah. you know, at that half inch cut, which should have been hard. a two inch cut. Ugh. And mm. I, I lost yeah. the animal. I couldn't recover it. It was just not enough wound. Really? Yeah, it was terrible. And oh, I was man. so broken up about it. But I'll tell you, you get one of those experiences, you're like, okay, I'm going to go look at fixed. <laughs> and so I've, yeah, yeah. I've been doing fixed from here on out, probably four year, four or five years now. And I, yeah. I just won't look back. I'm just like, all right, I, I think I'm locked in. And so I shoot the G5 mm-hmm. Striker X, the four blade. Whew. Okay. That thing, man, you got to be, you got to have like Jeez. leather gloves on, dude. It's, they're sharp, sharp. Nice. Yeah. But well, and that's man, that 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 takes us back to that whole you can't listen to your hunting buddies, right? And this is the thing with all gear and why it's so hard to just weave your way through it because everybody has these experiences, right? I mean, you talk to guys and they swear by the the mechanical broadhead, right? And you know, let's let's give them credit. They're they're getting better every year. You know, yeah. they're they're seeing lower and lower fail rates is what I've heard. But you know, you take somebody like yourself that had that experience. You're never going to go back to a mechanical unless it's you know proven year upon year. Maybe one thousand percent that's going to open. Oh. You know, they'll pay you a million dollars if it doesn't open, type thing. <laughs> but it's it's like that with bows too, right? That you know, somebody has has a, a Bowtech explode on them, right? Maybe a horse stepped on it and oh. and they're like, oh, I'm never going back to that thing again. And it's just a very situation dependent thing there. So it's it's tough to kind of weave your way through that. I, I mean, the, the same is true for um, releases. Um, yeah. what, what are your, there's a big battle going on right now between the, the back pressure and the, the standard just finger release. What what's your stance on that? Oh man, uh, releases. That's that's a good question too. I, me personally, I've not done the thumb release. 
yet. I, I've never tried it. I, I've never done it. I have, there was one hunt, I forgot my release and I made it about a half a mile down the trail. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have my release. I had to run back to the truck and go get it. So yeah, like a performance wise, I think it's being patient in the process, trying different systems and, and upgrading over time. My first wrist release, the Velcro wrist release was like a $27 true ball, you know? And mm. I was just like, okay, I'm getting into <laughs> bow hunting, right? Um, mm. I've since upgraded to a really heavy leather, uh, the buckle, it's a Scott. Mm. And okay. I love the trigger on it too. It's gridded. It's like um, mm. kind of grated metal. And so it's grippy. Yeah. You can, it's so yeah. sticky. It's not slippery mm. at all. And I, you know, I, the thing I like about it, it's around my wrist and it's just secure. The, my worry with the thumb release and even this last hunting season, I was talking to a guy here locally and we were talking about a uh, deer he had shot and everything. He's like, yeah, I went back and I was looking for my arrow and my thumb release. And I was like, mm. wait, what your thumb? He's yeah. like, yeah, I, I dropped my thumb release. And I'm like, Oh, like those things are not yeah. cheap. Like, and that's <laughs> no. part of why I probably wouldn't recommend that to a new bow hunter. You've got so many things you're juggling. And when that thing's dangling on your wrist, if you have a little string that's even keeping mm -hmm. it attached, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would go wrist, yeah. honestly, to, to yeah. start those couple of years because you can tinker later on. And it, I mean, if we're talking about the difference between a quarter inch accuracy or whatever it might be, like the microscopic little improvements, I just don't know if that's the best advice for a new bow hunter to have the risk of losing a $200 release in the, in the backcountry. <laughs> Yeah. You know. See, I'm I'm the same way too cuz like everybody talks about like you just can't get the same accuracy out of a wrist release, but to, to me it's like it's like pulling the trigger on a gun. It's 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 more you know, you can do the same thing. It's the same exact concept as pulling a trigger on a rifle, right? You just yeah. you if you apply that exact same concept to the to the bow, I've I've just always looked at it like that. Um <clears throat> I think another I mean I get the whole you can punch the trigger type thing, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just discipline, right? And that's the thing too is is yeah, going through that shot process, the muscle memory, knowing how to follow through, and and all of that. The other thing too is knock tuning your arrows. That's something that's very not talked about. And so when people get on these big Facebook groups of two hundred thousand people, you know, Archery USA and and all that, and I I'm on all of them. I just kind of you know fly on the wall monitor and a lot of people are just like wrist release or thumb release you know they just kind of throw it out there and people just go nuts yeah. and yeah. my thought is should <laughs> should you practice or not practice i mean that's that's yeah. kind of what it comes down to because the gear yeah. isn't going to save you in, in most cases if your arrows aren't knock tuned and i've gotten to the point where i've knock tuned my <laughs> arrows and for those listening that may not know what knock tuning is, it's just where you spin your knock at a different fletching. So you essentially have three different options with the three fletchings. So you spin it, and the idea is it's going to fly a little bit differently depending on where that knock is vertically. And when I've knocked to my arrows, I've gotten to the point where I number my arrows, and I know where the number one's going, the number two, the three, the four. You just, when you spend a lot of time on your equipment, it doesn't matter if you got a thumb or a wrist release. It's just, it, it comes down to you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, so do you do you shoot helical or so you know for for new people, right? There's there's a lot of ways to fletch your arrow. Yeah. Um, the the traditional I would say would probably be the what is it two point two five inch fletchings, yeah. three way, you know, just just straight fletchings, you know, the your standard blazer fletching. Yep. I've got it right um, here. But then there's so yeah, for yep, those right watching there. the the video, I've got the little right helical, and uh, yeah, we that, won't. That's what I've done. Yeah, it won't be a video, but yeah, just a little spiral. Yeah, a little, little bit of a spiral, and, and it's kind of a cool thing because, and this is something I picked up over time, right, just through asking questions, and I started seeing other arrows, like, with this little curve on the fletching, and I was like, what <clears throat> is that? That looks sick. Yep. And part of it, I Same. thought it was cosmetic. I was like, oh, that's just, you can just glue it that way, and it doesn't mean, mean anything. Uh, no, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Right helical is absolutely a performance. And, and really what it does is it's, it's kind of like um, a rifle, you know, the rifling in, in the barrel, mm -hmm. it turns, turns the, the round, you know, as it, as it goes through the air and it spirals like a football and mm -hmm. that just creates consistency and accuracy. So pretty fun. Yeah. I, you know, jumping up to the right helical, that was that and a drop away rest were two of my biggest like i'm at the range and i'm like what have i been doing like i've been missing out you know jumping up to the helical mm -hmm. and the drop away it's just super fun and consistent yeah I, I just i just switched my arrows to right helical and i actually went up to like the 2.75 inch you know a little bit longer fletching i saw that you know i can it, it was mostly to add some grains to the back just to balance out my front of center a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I've, I've noticed they're – and apparently they're better for broadhead shooting, correct? That's what I've also heard too. So when you put yeah. the – again, you get that turn fixed in there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then the fixed blade – it's it just gives it that better chance of being consistent and and that's the other thing you know speaking of broadheads and practicing you know there was there was a few hunts that i would slap broadheads on and and just go and i wouldn't shoot them at foam and because i when i was shooting mechanical i was so worried of just blowing up the mechanical into a foam target and it was kind of a silly concern mm -hmm. and i just i think there was a part of me that like I didn't really know you could do that. And then on the marketing on the darn package, it's like flies like a fixed, you know, or it flies like a, a field point. And so I'm like, well, flies yeah. like a field point, you know, and uh, you just, that, that was a mistake. And that's where I got sucked into yeah. some marketing with broadhead companies. I wish they wouldn't do that. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like the same is with the whole, uh, so where do you stand on the whole front of center thing? Um, that's that's kind of a big movement right now as well oh right yeah that's that's a big one as well um you know one thing i've done is where it comes to like weighted tips so have you mm -hmm. ever done the weighted inserts where you yep, drop I, I got yep yep so i i, I did that for a while mm -hmm. and i was i mean it was heavy oh my gosh mm -hmm. i think i had you know 125 grain tips and then i was packing in another hundred in in um the the weighted Insert inserts weight. and yeah oh, i was way heavy and 
part of it was too, and this is maybe a silly thought, but you know, I'm shooting a lot and I'm practicing and maybe like I blow up an arrow, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe it, it's, I don't know, it just breaks or I hit another arrow and I lost two arrows and, and all that. It got mm -hmm. expensive, man. Like when yeah. I'm like trying to like pull the weights out or I can't get them out um, or like, oh, I got to go buy a new dozen arrows. Okay, well, I got to get inserts for all those. Dude, I spent so much time on the phone trying to get weighted inserts with like gold tip. I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. I need the 25 or I need the 50. It, it just became like a maintenance struggle. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm kind of over it. And so I do shoot a 125 up front. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I lean towards that a little bit. The hundreds, um, what I found is like maybe like smaller game or like if you're doing birds or turkey, um, you just don't need like that heavy hitting penetration. It's just more about accuracy, but mm -hmm. I don't know. That's kind of my thought. What, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying it, <clears throat> uh, you know, this, this new Matthews bow that I got this year, I took it as the opportunity to just get everything that I thought I wanted. Right. Did, yeah. did a good amount of research. And so I'm, I'm shooting, you know, 50, for people that might not know front of center is just essentially if you take your arrow and you try to find the the point where it's you put the arrow on your finger and you try to balance it mm. um the front of center is like at what percentage um yeah yeah it's like adam he's he's balancing his arrow on his finger right now yeah and it's about you know it's about i don't know three or four inches from probably the center of his arrow and that's yeah. front of center it just equates to the the concept is it it equates to more penetration Mm -hmm. um, it will probably let, make your arrow drop a little bit more over time, but you know, it, it's penetration is the, the, the big thing there. Um, but again, that's another thing you could go into rabbit holes on, but yeah. I, so what I'm doing is I'm shooting a 50, uh, just based on my, my weight and, um, the, the poundage, my bow that I'm shooting, I saw that it would probably work if I wanted to get, you know, what a lot of people say is that um, you know, in between 10 and 15% front of center is probably a sweet spot there. Yeah. So I, I am shooting about right in the middle there, 13.8 front percent front of center. Um, and so I have a 50 grain outsert. I'm shooting the micro diameters this year, giving that okay. a shot. Cool. Um, did the, the right helical and then a 125 grain broadhead or field point right now. But, um, so, and so far, I mean, I've liked it, you know, I, I have noticed even just on the, on my, my target, you know, compared to my last bow, my last setup, <clears throat> the, the arrows are going in farther. I don't yeah. know how that's going to equate to an animal or whatever, but you can tell. Um, so I'm, I'm stoked right now. You know, it's still, still early in the season. I haven't been, it's been freaking cold and snowy and the, <laughs> really the only spot I can shoot out here, the roads are just atrocious to get out there. Oh. Um, so I haven't shot a ton to, you know, really dial it in, but I like it so far, you know, it's, uh, we'll see. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know. And I think for your setup, you know, and that's why I say like, if it's working for somebody and they put enough time into it to see if it's working, then that's great. I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think it, it gets really risky when someone's like, well, I just want to get it right the first time. So just tell me how much weight to put in my arrow. And it's like, well, mm. what's your poundage? What's your drawling? What's your axle to axle? Like 
all those factors, right? I mean, there's so much going on. And so, you know, when you put the time in, you find it, that's, that's awesome. So you're shooting, you've got a 175 up front, essentially with the outsert plus the, the 125. That's, that's powerful. Yep. That's yep. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I threw the, you know, again, for obviously you probably know a lot more than me on this, but for people that are listening, like, you know, typically with that setup, if, if you wanted to go that route, you have to, uh, put some weight in the back end to kind of make up for it, depending on how long your arrow is and stuff like that. But so I put a, you know, uh, I think it's an eight grain arrow wrap on there and that's why I went up in fletchings. So it kind of balances that out, um, which is, they say necessary. Yeah. Um, and do but, you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shooting fine and we'll see. Have you ventured in making your own fletchings, like fletching your own arrows or do you still, just yeah, take it I, I fletched my first batch. This, wow. Yeah. And, uh, needless to say, I got about six left with fletchings on them. So I, I might have to make another run at it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's uh, cool. But yeah, that's yeah, a good they, time. They didn't glue too well the first time, but you know, we're learning. There you go. No, that's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit to, um, you know, a a more hunting, the the more hunting side. I feel like we've kind of gone over, you know, picking your your setup a little bit and it's, it really just comes down to feeling what's right for you. Um, but in terms of like going out on your first bow hunt, uh, what, what would you tell people to expect or not expect? Oh, wow. The first bow hunt. That's a, gosh, I, okay. I got to dial it back and think the very first bow hunt. Uh, yeah, the first thing I would say is, um, and I've picked up a lot of things, even just interviewing folks on the podcast. Um, one thing I would say that I really stand behind is not overpacking. I think sometimes we pack a ton of stuff. And I think it was Mark from EXO that said, we pack our fears. And I love mm. that. And, and I've done that before. I, I caught myself packing in three headlamps uh, because I thought that, well, if one dies, but then what if another one dies? And then, it, you know, and so uh, I remember packing a jet boil for a day trip, you know, for a half a day hunt and always bringing a jet boil with me. And I'm like, I don't need, like, I can go off a granola bar you know, or I'm going to eat really heavy before I go and not carrying any food or just a small amount of food. Um, so first thing I would say is be careful how much you pack and really try to not pack so much of your fears and, and maybe go out in those shorter distances too. I don't know if like an overnighter in the back country might be the best for, you know, your first hunt. So try to find something close, maybe half a day, kind of get a taste of it. I would say, Um, yeah. And and I would say whatever you plan, just expect that it won't go to plan. And I think with a lot of outdoor activities, we make a plan and then it somewhat goes to plan. I mean, when I take my kids skiing, I have a sense of when we're going to get there and who's going to complain five minutes before we go and who's that and this and what candy bar we're going to get. And then we go home and it's pretty pragmatic. I think hunting is zero that it's not that at all. And just the unexpected happens so, so quickly. And even to the point where you might think you go out and you're like, well, I'm not going to see anything anyway. And I'm just going to go and whatever. I've had that mindset before and I'll walk in I mean, 10 minutes on the trail 
and there's a shot opportunity and a, and a deer Always steps out <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. oh my gosh, you know? So <clears throat> I think having as open as mind as possible and just understanding that you have very little control and a lot of hunting really is just timing. And it's, you know, the more time you spend out there, uh, the, the more chances you're going to get. It sounds very basic, right? It sounds very obvious. Mm-hmm. That was something my brother-in-law had told me, you know, I'd tell him, after I got back from the field and I'm like, I didn't see anything. And, oh, I, you know, and he's like, how often are you going out? You know, maybe spend some more time out there. Maybe pay attention to where they are. So that, that's what I would say there from a packing perspective, expectations perspective. And then also just being ready. I mean, if you do get an animal, do you have a plan? Oh, man, we were shooting. We were elk hunting in Steamboat, Colorado. And we go out. And it's like me and two other guys, and I was just tagging along for the ride. I was a brand new hunter, and I was like, I just want to watch. You know, I just I didn't have mm-hmm. a tag, and so we're we're at the trailhead, and dude, like some Daniel Boone homie rolls up without a shirt on, totally muscular fit. I mean, this guy was ripped, and he comes on, and he's like not wearing any clothes. I think he was wearing like a kind of a quasi loincloth, like. He like made his own clothes. It was primitive. And he rolls yeah. up. He's got this traditional bow. I, I mean, full, like he wanted the experience. And he rolls up on us and he's like, oh, you guys going elk hunting? And we're like, yeah. He's like, oh, that's so cool. And he was all jacked up. I mean, he was like fired up. And yeah. so we're sitting there and there's three of us and there's one of him. And he looks at us and he asks the most simple question. He says, how are you going to get your elk out? And we said, well, there's three of us. I mean, we've got packs, we, you know, each take a quarter. And, and he looked at us like, oh my gosh, I'm all by myself. I'm going out hunting. I'm clearly new at this. And it's just like, you saw the, like the blood rush out of his face. Like, and he got in his car and he oh. like drove away. Like he, I, I don't know where yeah. he went. Maybe he <laughs> was like, and, and so what's the plan? I mean, if you get a deer, yeah. it's they're still heavy. I mean, are you, are you comfortable quartering it out, gutting it? Um, elk, I, you know, do you have friends that you can call? <laughs> like, not, um, yeah. that's, that's a big one, you know, really thinking through like if I get something. Um, so, and just paying attention to, I, I think paying attention to the landscape, the tracks, the sign, those are all really good things. The way I look at bow hunting is it's data collection. You're, you're collecting experiences mm-hmm. and data. You're paying attention to the temperatures, the time of day. When did you go out? If you didn't see anything, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's something else you can kind of put in your data bank and say, you know what? I've been out at the same time at this temperature day after day. They are just not in this area at that time. So mm-hmm. put it in the data bank and, and add it on yeah. for later. So that's what I would say for the first hunt Um, and just enjoy it. It's, you know, don't make it about, you know, killing an animal when you do, you're not going to kill an animal every time you go out. Well, for one, you can't have endless amounts of tags, but, (laughs) but um, you're going to not shoot an animal a whole lot more than you will. And if you're always basing it off of like, and that's what I did for many years. I think that's what held me back is I kept, wanting it so bad and when it didn't happen i was crushed and i had a bad day and you know and i'm telling my wife like oh, i didn't get one and now i just have totally flipped the script i'm like i went out saw something didn't got a shot didn't you know i just i'm having fun yeah yeah 
Oh, that's a tough one too because I mean I think <clears throat> success kind of helps that a little bit you know once you once you are successful it's it kind of takes I mean you can apply that to, to yeah. bow hunting for I, I felt after I had you know killed my first animal with a bow the the next time I pulled it back in front of an animal was it was magic it was like all those those shaking feelings were gone mm. and it was just like oh this is like this is such a different thing than the first few times right um, but you know, even, even just like, uh, like if you have been successful with like a rifle or something earlier that season or, or later that season, maybe you have a rifle tag that, you know, you can fill it, it helps that pressure a lot. And it, yeah. but that's also a tough thing. If it's, you know, your first time going out, you're like, um, <clears throat> just you, you're, you've probably watched all the YouTube videos, right? You've seen all these guys getting success, successful and what a lot of people don't understand is uh, that, uh, you know, A, there's a lot of unsuccessful hunts that don't get put out there. That's one thing. <laughs> B, there's a lot of there's a lot of those trips that extend beyond, you know, your typical guy who's going out seven to ten days. And C, there's a lot of those hunts that happen in, you know, places that you might not be able to get to, right, yeah. um, for, for one reason or another. <clears throat> but, you know, you see these things and the YouTube page says, you know, public land OTC um, bull elk shot. And you're like, oh, this, this looks easy, right? <laughs> well, man, I'll tell you, if you come to Colorado, like, uh, you're not going to shoot an elk the first time, I guarantee you, <laughs> if, especially if you're new to bow hunting. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's not going to happen because it's so hard. There's so many guys going after the same thing. Elk are so smart in, yeah. in areas. And so it's, but I will say, you know, counter to that point, if you, if you go into an area and you see elk or, or hear elk, if you can go into there year after year after year, in my opinion, it is, it is such an advantage than changing your spot every year because you learn i mean animals you know obviously crazy things can happen wildfires can happen mm. you know maybe cattle are grazing in some national forest allotment one year and they weren't the last year so there's less feed there but but if you can go into an air because there's in every spot and i'm sure you've seen it hunting deer and elk and all that stuff um but there's always going to be that one little like tree that you know the elk are going to walk on the left side of instead of the right side, right? <laughs> and you only know that by going there year after year. Or, or there's this one wallow that, you know, they use at the at the beginning, but then, you know, if they get spooked out of there, they're going to this other one. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, that's one thing that a lot of people <clears throat> that I've seen, they kind of give up on, um, you know, elk hunting especially, um, yeah. because I would say it's probably the one of the harder ones out there, at least here in, here in Colorado and, and Utah, places where it's kind of over the counter. Um, but, uh, you know, so many people go the first year, they get their ass handed to them because they're coming <laughs> from sea level and they're hiking up at 10,000 feet and, you know, they're in on that second day and, you know, they're just dead because they hiked three miles and 3000 vert feet oh yeah and they just don't come back but you know what it's like what you were saying you're collecting that data and if it's if it's and and no data is just as good as you know seeing tracks right so if like yeah. you don't see anything there go somewhere else right so it's it's being flexible but also like when you find a spot man when you when you find 
animals, it, I think it's so worth it to go back in there and just try to learn that shit. Oh, yeah. So. You know, I, I think about the last four or five seasons that I've been successful. You know what? I get them from the exact same area. I go to the same area. When I was bopping up and down the Wasatch here in Utah, because I'm like, well, I didn't see anything that day. Well, I'm going to change spots. I'm going to change spots. You can't learn 10 different spots all the time. You, you've only got two no. legs. You've only got so many trail cameras. I mean, and so what I did was, uh, you know, I go into an area and I just really invest into it. And, mm. and, and that has been a game changer because I think that was what I missed out on. I kept changing spots because I was like, well, they're not here. Well, they're not here today mm. or they're not here this morning. But time and time again, you'll put out a trail camera and you'll miss them by two hours. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Fine. Like, take that as a win. Don't, don't take that as, yeah. oh, I got to stay out longer. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you cut bait too early. But I, I, I've learned that heavily. I love that you pointed that out because, oh, I was, I was a bad proponent of that. I kept changing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough, too, because you're like, well, what if there's... What if there's an easier spot to get into that I can? Yeah. And it's, it's, there's part of me, it's really fun to go check out different areas, right? It's like hunting. I, I think, you know, the country is just as important as, you know, the, the amount of animals, right? If you're personally, I, I just love, you know, I almost love backpacking and camping just as much as I love hunting. So that's just as much of a part of it as the rest of it. But, um, yeah. Well, and, you know, and it, it's it's tough. And the product that you guys do at Seek is so strong too, because you can really have those comforts and not be loaded down so heavily, right? I mean, it's lightweight, it's high end. Uh, I felt that too. Like when I invest in really good gear, I enjoy the experience more because I'm out there, I'm warm, I'm cozy, I'm, you know, you have some of those comforts. And uh, yeah, investing in good gear is is really nice too. And figuring out what a day pack looks like versus maybe an overnight or two nighter. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that too. I think we can be comfortable out there and and yeah. take the time to plan and, and do it that way. Um, the other thing I would say too, for your first hunt, let's, you know, go back to that or first few hunts. The wind is everything. I talk about wind all the time. Oh man, it, it's busted me so many, probably more times than I even realized. And mm-hmm. wind carries, it carries yeah. hundred yards, you know, they'll, they'll smell you. And mm-hmm. if you've got the thermals wrong, that thing will carry so far and, and those animals will bust out. So it's really important. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and that's another tough one too, because I've been in a situation where you know, we were, we were kind of camped up on, on this almost bluff right above this big Canyon. And the, the situation that we were in and a couple of my buddies listening will know what I'm talking about. Right. (laughs) Was that it like the, the move, because every morning we heard bulls bugling down in this little drainage because it was just hell to get to. And there was a bunch of private down below so you couldn't access it from from down below. So it was kind of the, the perfect setup, right? And but the the you know the the pattern was this bull would start up at this wallow before first light, and then he'd just make his way downhill to to this meadow area, um, and then you know off probably onto the private land. 
And we saw that for, you know, two, three days. Mm. Well, the, you know, obviously the thermals in the morning, uh, the way that they were working and the way that the prevailing wind condition was just blowing our scent. We'd start up on top and it was just blowing our scent down into this drainage, right? Oh. And the the proper thing to do would have, have been to, you know, pick up our camp and go camp at the bottom so that we had, you know, at least wind advantage in the morning. And, you know, at least that first morning we would have had a better chance. But <clears throat> due to some of the circumstances, uh, you know, it wasn't really a possibility to to camp down there and i just knew every single morning going in there i was like we're fucked man <laughs> like we're screwed here because like the wind is just like and there's not much brush in between you know our elevation here and down where he's at so yeah. he's, he's kind of got us on checkmate um but you know you you just sometimes yeah the the wind is the your biggest enemy and sometimes there's no way to stop it well but yeah it's it's the most important and it's hard to even your fact of like dropping that much elevation maybe you get the animal you've got a heck of a pack out you know mm -hmm. and that's something yeah. where my uh my appetite got bigger than my mind uh with a cow elk hunt that i do with my son on rifle I, we just kept going and going. And I, I said, I know they're in here. I know they're in here. And we finally found them, but we were pretty far back in there. And for, for my son, who's like 14, man, I didn't want to like totally ruin his first few hunts, you know, by like just yeah. death marches, but we yeah. shot one two and a half miles out and got it back as far as we could and had to leave the meat for a night. And I had to come back the next day. And, uh, that was, yeah. a, that was a big learning for me that, you mm -hmm. you got to be thoughtful so for those first few hunts it's what are you getting yourself into and what can you get yourself out of yeah well another thing like even if you've been hunting whitetails or or even mule deer mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then you, you decide that you want to go chase after elk um it's <laughs> be 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 ready just be freaking ready you're gonna get up to that thing especially if you shoot a bull man and oh. you, you gotta carry that head out it's just like oh man like you even if you have three guys it's easy two and a half trips right it, oh. it, you know most of the time if you're if you're carrying them out with the bone in you know if you bone it out that's that'll probably save you a little bit of weight but then that's you know an extra two or three hours people don't understand like how much longer it takes like I can do, <clears throat> I can do a deer or a bear all by myself, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never done an elk by myself, and I really don't want to <laughs> because it's so much work. I mean, you're dealing with these hundred pound limbs oh. uh, if you're if you got a bull and these antlers, and if you if you're quartering it, you got to flip it at some point, and it's just it's chaos, man. So just be ready for that. And you know, going back to the gear thing, they're they are making things that that are, are making that situation easier. I, I don't know if you've heard of, there's a company that makes uh, ultralight mechanical advantages. So essentially like pulleys that you can hook up to a tree oh. um, to, you know, hold a, hold a, an elk limb up so you can, or even like, you know, flip an elk if you need to, cool. which is pretty cool. So there, there is some gear coming out now that's, um, yeah, let me see. I'll look up the company because I saw them at uh, Western Hunt. Oh. Ultra light. So but I, anyway, yeah. yeah, I Go had ahead. a thought on this too when we were packing this cow elk out. I mean, the grades we were going up and down were ridiculous, and it was two feet of snow. 
well, me and my buddy go back out with a sled and that was magical, like worked out great, but we were still in some steep sections. I had thought, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, hundred feet of rope with a pulley and you could tie off to like a tree. There was a T post we were actually like next to that. Like I could have tied off. Mm. It was totally anchored in. I could have pulled the hundreds of pound of meat up the hill even, you know, like that mm-hmm. would have been sweet. Yeah. That would have saved our backs. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think it's called pack a pole um, is this, this, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a four to one mechanical advantage. Um, you know, meaning that for every pound you pull or for, yeah, for every pound you feel it's pulling four pounds Wow. and yeah, it looks like the, the heaviest one is, just around two pounds and obviously that's not including weight so but big gear advantage if you're going out there solo for your first bow hunt you probably want something like that now it's um but yeah i mean yeah it's going back to the first thing that we said it's just a jungle to wade (laughs) through and it's it's tough man but it's it's well worth it when you get into it i know it's so true and and you'll make mistakes and you'll forget something and you'll you know do everything but yeah you just build off of it but once you're successful man that success is so amazing because you'll take 78 failures to that one success and it is an incredible success there's nothing like it truthfully yeah no there's there's really not and i mean it's it's kind of fun to be able to say that you did it right i mean all that work goes into it it's not like a rifle right i mean most rifles once you get them locked in probably don't have to shoot them for a year you can take that thing out yeah you'll be good to go but you take a bow out i mean case in point my story earlier right you're (laughs) you're screwed you gotta you gotta put the work in to be able to make that shot happen so yeah not to mention, it's so much harder to get to within 40 yards of an animal than 500 or 400. Oh, my god! <laughs> That's the smallest thing. <laughs> yeah. The stock is everything, for sure. Yep. That's cool. It is. Yep. Well, sweet, man. Well, did you have anything else that you wanted to kind of touch on here? Any, any words of wisdom to, to part the show with? You know, I, th- I think the, the big thing is just... Uh, just have a lot of self-awareness, you know, understand what you're going in on. Uh, you know, truthfully me, I've been a solo hunter pretty much my whole, the whole 10 years that I've been hunting. And I'm not saying that's the best way. I'm not saying it's the worst way, but I have had a lot of self-awareness as a solo hunter. So whatever way you're going to go, if you're going to go out with four buddies and you know, you're going to have that kind of manpower, or if you're going to go out by yourself, whatever it is, just, just have that self-awareness on the hunting side, on the bow side, just to reiterate, just be patient with the process, you know, and, and, um, and I learned this actually, I'm a beekeeper as well. I learned this in beekeeping where you ask advice from a beekeeper and they are like, you do it this way and no other way. And that that's just super inaccurate. Every, every beehive is Mm -hmm. slightly different and, you know, every climate's a little different, so you got to treat it differently. So I've definitely taken that into archery and have felt a lot more comfortable and successful that way versus, yeah. okay, well, I got to go buy this bow because my hunting buddy said I do, you know? So that's what I would say. And yeah. uh, just enjoy it. Just try to take in those failures and enjoy the process. Yeah. Uh, those, those, are, uh, those are good points of advice for people. Um, 
Well, last thing, man, where can where can people find the podcast and and information yeah. on how to get locked in on a new bow? Yeah, for sure. So I've got a lot of different episodes. I really drill into different topics. It's just first generation bow hunter on all the directories. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, even Google and Amazon, uh, just just about everywhere. I'm also on YouTube. And it's first generation bow hunter, uh, the handle, and then Instagram. It's just me, Adam underscore Buchanan. And what I like to do there is you can send me a recording of a question. Um, I'll send you a link where I can record your voice if you want to ask me a question. You can actually be featured in an episode. It's kind of fun. And um, nice. just drop me a line. Yeah, a lot of people come to me and they're like, hey, I just got this bow or I'm doing this. What else do I need to do here? And I, I just love helping people. And it's, it's really fun. It usually turns into an episode. So it's just first generation bow hunter on all the directories. Nice. Sweet, man. I think awesome. I might go shoot here. <laughs> I know. Inspired. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for jumping on here. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat with you soon, man. Thanks for having me too. Appreciate it.